And now, Virgin Most Powerful Radio is pleased to present Hands-On Apologetics with renowned Catholic author and apologist, Gary Machuda. And welcome, everybody, at Hands-On Apologetics. You have entered into Virgin Most Powerful's Apologetics Dojo, and it's great to be with you today. Uh, it's Thursday. Man, busy Thursday indeed for here in the Midwest, Commander, and that's good, because uh, when it comes to doing the Lord's work, I'd rather be too busy than not busy enough. And uh, so busy, busy, busy here. I'll, I'll give you a, a rundown in a little bit. But anyway, I want to welcome all of you to the show. Got a great show in store for us, by the way. We have Emily Torres come on the show. Emily, a young, aspiring apologist. She's going to be tackling a really cool subject, and that is Marian apparitions. And how can we use those to show people the truth of the Catholic faith? So um, I, I normally don't delve too much into apparitions, and uh, but nevertheless, uh, you know, it is th- these are great gifts from God, and uh, it can help us point people in the right direction. So she's going to be coming up on the other side of the break. We're going to talk about that. On this side of the break, we're going to do what we always do. We're going to do our Finding the Fallacy. Today's Finding the Fallacy, by the way, is... The Appeal to Tradition, and we are also going to meet our early church father, and today's early church father is a great early church father. It is St. Leo the Great, Pope of Rome. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. Got great stuff to talk about, and so let's start off by welcoming you all to the show. So welcome aboard, everybody, all of you listening on radio around the country, and of course, uh, live stream. How are you doing? And all the podcast peeps out there listening. As you know, this is a live radio show, but that's also uh, streamed out live on various social media outlets and also archived on podcast form and all sorts of distribution centers. So it's great to have all of you on board and great to have you in the dojo. Um, yeah, we've been busy. <laughs> all right, it's more, that's the royal we. I've been busy. Uh, I get it. Fortunate, uh, fortunately, I was able to uh, sub for my good friend El Cresta on Cresta in the Afternoon yesterday and interview some of the people that I've already interviewed on the show. And uh, that's a lot of fun. Uh, but it did keep the sensei up late. And uh, today, man, full schedule of school. School has started. It's hard to believe it's already September. And so teaching middle school, high school classes for homeschool connections. And by the way, if you're a homeschooler, highly recommend you check out Homeschool Connections. Great group of people that uh, they, they have uh, people who are competent in the field. Uh, you know, I teach apologetics, but they'll have historians teaching history. They'll have lawyers teaching government. Um, you know, it's really good supplement for homeschool and homeschooling kids and catechetics and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, you know, it's what's great is... Hey, if you have uh, homeschooling kids and you want them to learn apologetics, check out Homeschool Connections. Uh, not only me, but uh, there's classes there by Trent Horn and Tim Staples and, and others as well. 
And so they can learn from apologists how to defend the faith. It's all right there. And uh, But anyway, so this morning, packed with that, I got this show, got interviews after the show. Then going to do our evening Bible studies in uh, St. Michael's of Livonia here in Michigan. And uh, every second and fourth uh, Thursday, I get the uh, privilege of breaking down the Bible and having a two-hour in-depth Bible study. So Thursdays are a fun day indeed. <laughs> Lots of stuff on the calendar. And, of course, a great show, you know, to kick it off. So uh, Marian Apparitions, can't beat that. Um, if you want to access this show, maybe you, you want to hear what Emily has to say about apparitions but can't quite uh, fit into your schedule, don't fear. Just go to virtualmostpowerfulradio.org, click on Hands on Apologetics, and all of the shows there will be uploaded, eventually this one, and you can access them and listen to them as many times as you like and download them, share them with friends, and so on. Also, the official Dojo Mailbox, I want to give that out before we start our usual uh, segments, and that is questions at handsonapologetics.com. That comes directly to me, and I do receive your emails. So uh, questions at handsonapologetics.com. All right, let's go to our Finding the Fallacy for today. Today's Finding the Fallacy is the appeal to tradition. The appeal to tradition means to ignore the evidence that we should uh, change because of doing something for a really long time. Um, so it's a it's a useful fallacy, and I think it's also one of those fallacies that's often misunderstood. Why? Because there is a thing called sacred tradition, which is special terminology in theology. Uh, sacred tradition is what ha God has revealed as true. And uh, so it's the word of God. So the appeal to tradition could sound as if it's fallacious to appeal to the word of God, which, of course, it isn't. What this means is basically with uh, it's an, uh, the appeal or the fallacy is when you appeal to something as true simply because it had been held as true for a very long time or it's something that's been done for a very long time. Okay? And that's it. No other evidence or anything like that. So when we appeal to, say, the early church fathers, you know, that's we are appealing to sacred tradition, right? But we're not committing the fallacy of appeal to tradition because that means that uh, we're just saying something is true because it's old. But that's not how we use the early church fathers. We appeal to the early church fathers because they're witnesses of the beliefs of the early church. And that helps us establish that the things that we believe as Catholics today are the same things that has been handed on from the time of Christ. And that's why it's so important. So that's our finding of the fallacy for today, the appeal to tradition. Let's meet our early church father for today, who is Pope St. Leo I, Pope of Rome. Uh, pope Leo the Great it was probably of Tuscan origin, though he calls himself a Roman. Under Pope Sixtus III and Celestine before him, Leo was an archdeacon in the Diocese of Rome and was on an official mission to Gaul, which is modern-day France, when he learned that Sixtus was dead and that he himself was chosen to the See of Peter. 
hastening back to Rome, he was consecrated on September 29th, 440. So actually, we're coming up on the anniversary not too long from now. And uh, the date of his death is uncertain, except that it's rather late in the year six, uh, excuse me, 461 AD. Leo is the first pope to have died without a martyr's death. So think about that. Uh, 461 AD, his first pope not to die a martyr. In 1754, he's declared a doctor of the church by Pope Benedict XIV. Leo's reign was a burdensome one in which he acquitted himself well and endured invasions from the Vandals and the Huns from without and schisms and heresies from within. Chief among them is the Monophysite heresy, which uh, he saw something already um, we, we saw it with uh, Peter Christologus and uh, to Eutyches and things like that. After the disgraceful procedures of the Robert Council of Ephesus, it was Leo who called the meeting the Convention of Robbers. And the name stuck ever since. The Council of Chalcedon in 451 was expected to repair the situation, and it did clearly condemn Nestorianism and Monophysism, but unfortunately... A misapprehension uh, grew in the East that Chalcedon had contradicted the Council of Ephesus in 431 and that Leo's Epistle to Flavian, also known as the Tome of Leo, that had condemned the uh, Christology of St. Cyril of Alexandria, neither uh, supposed fact was true, of course, and a little more prudence and circumspection would have made that the matters clear. Um, so, uh, skimming on to the bottom, uh, basically Leo was the great defender of orthodoxy against uh, all these, especially monophysism, which by the way, teaches that Christ does not have two natures, but kind of has a third kind of nature, an amalgamation of human and divine together, theo, uh, theoanthropic nature, um, Let's see, um, Leo's literary, literary remains is considerable. In fact, we have an awful lot of his letters and sermons, and they are better preserved than any other pope before him. And the reason for that apparently is that he kept a chancery of archives. So that's another thing that uh, Leo the Great is great about, and that's the preservation of at least his letters and his sermons. And uh, so since there's quite a few of them, there's a, a great amount of information that we as Catholics can appeal to to show the faith in the 5th century. And, of course, we have Leo's Tome, which is uh, was, was read at the Council of Chalcedon and accepted by the Council Fathers as uh, being the proclamation of Peter himself through the Pope. And, uh, yeah, so it's... You know, it's wonderful to get Saint, Pope St. Saint Leo the Great because, as you know, if you're a listener to this program, many, many early church fathers, we have practically nothing about their bio. Where, at least here, we, we have tons of information about Leo. And we also have lots of writings by Leo himself that still survived the ages. And that's our early church father for today. Pope St. Leo I. And coming up next, we're going to be chatting with Emily Torres, talk about mirroring apparitions and how they connect with the Catholicism. Stay tuned, everybody.
Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody. Hands-On Apologetics. Well, Marian apparitions. That's something we really haven't talked a lot about in Hands-On Apologetics. But, you know, it's these uh, bona fide uh, apparitions of Mary are filled with lots of uh, interesting pointers that could help non-believers and even uh, believers into the Catholic Church and to help us uh, explore that area. We have our good friend, Emily Torres. Emily is a... Okay, I'm sorry. We uh, just uh, we're having some technical problems, but I, I will. Uh, uh, nevertheless, I'll do the, the bio. Hopefully, we'll be able to clarify that. Um, Emily is a 20-year-old apologist, originally from Southern California, and uh, though now she's in Chicago, apparently for the weather. <laughs> now she's pursuing a bachelor's of arts in philosophy and also a bachelor of science in cognitive and behavioral neuroscience. And uh, she has a fantastic website. Check it out. It's catholic-converts.com. And Emily, welcome to Hands-On Apologetics. Oh, you hear me, but I can't hear you now. So I'm not sure. Uh, Check to see if your mic is uh, muted, perhaps. Uh, Nope, still can't hear you. Oh, boy. Yeah, okay. Well... (laughs) Yeah, this happens. You know, this happens. Uh, that's the beautiful thing about technology. In fact, when I was on El Cresta yesterday, I, I finished the show saying, man, we are so blessed as Catholics to live in this this era where information is so easily obtained and so easily disseminated. And we have all these great Catholics out there who are putting out fantastic content and uh but you know what there is a drawback <laughs> and the drawback is you know things happen and uh so technological stuff so as uh richard is feverishly trying to get emily back on the show uh well, i'll just keep dancing uh well uh emily are you there not yet i still can't hear you i can see you and i can tell you're hearing me because i see the smile but uh, yeah, something's wrong with the mic. Don't know. Uh, boy, if I had a, a nickel for every time that happened, uh, not only with Gaspa, with me, uh, there's always technical problems here. But Marian apparitions, you know, uh, not every uh, supposed apparition is approved by the church. There's usually a long period of scrutiny. And so there are some, uh, some uh, apparitions I think are, worthy of being brought into discussions with non-Catholics, like the miracle of uh, Lourdes, you know, the apparition there, and, of course, Fatima as well. Both of those are approved by the church. And then there's other ones that maybe aren't as well-known, but nevertheless church-approved. And then finally you have some that are the questions still kind of open. All right, Emily, are you there? Okay, no. Okay. Okay, so, oh, I thought I heard something for a split second. Oh, boy. So, okay, it's a question of either her hearing me or me hearing her. Okay, so um, so we're going to continue to uh, fix the thing. But anyway, uh, Fanima. 
man, uh, you have literally tens of thousands, if not more, people who witnessed the miracle of the sun. Um, then you have lords. You have a lot of empirical data, uh, vertical data about cures. And, uh, of course, uh, I think there's 50 or probably more than 50 officially recognized miraculous cures there. And um, then uh, you have other uh, you know, apparitions that maybe don't have the vertical data, um, but nevertheless uh, are helpful. Uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe would be one uh, with the Tilma. Um, but there's other ones like Knox that uh, I don't believe there's any vertical data. But anyway, these are, uh, if Our Lady is through the will of God is going to appear to us in an apparition, um, that shows us that God wants us to know about it. And it's also, you know, a gift for us defenders of the faith because it gives us some tools, especially maybe for non-believers and also for uh, Protestants as well. So, uh, uh, yes, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes. All right. Okay. We got it. All right. Um, So, okay. Yeah. So I heard you mention Our Lady of Guadalupe. uh, Um, Also, thank you for having me on the show. I don't know if you heard me say that. (laughs) No, I didn't, Um, but it's great to have you back. (laughs) Yes. Um, So, yeah, actually, you brought up how the apparitions of Our Lady could even aid in Protestants with Protestants and, you know, helping them to see possibly more evidence in favor of the Catholic Church being from God. And coming from that position where I was a Protestant, and then I had never even heard of Marian apparitions before um, I was introduced to a Catholic and started learning more about it. And, you know, what was going through my head at the time was, okay, you know, you take Our Lady of Guadalupe, for example, Um, Nine million Aztecs, people who were worshiping false gods, um, uh, convert to Catholicism after this apparition, um, professing, you know, Jesus Christ as their savior, belief in the triune God. How, you know, I wasn't going to be like, you know, a smug atheist and just say, oh, that didn't happen. You know, those miracles weren't real. But I also didn't want to say that okay, I mean, if this is a supernatural occurrence happening, it's either from God or it's from the devil. And why would the devil have 9 million people who are worshiping false gods come to a religion where now they're professing faith in Jesus Christ? Um, Mm. I just didn't see that as reasonable. You know, how, why would the devil do that? Unless Catholicism is really, unless Catholicism is from the devil, but I couldn't, you know, it say that I couldn't go that far. Like maybe some Protestants might, cause that just didn't seem reasonable to me. Um, so yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are on, on sort of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, it does kind of, it does bring it to a head, doesn't it? Is okay. So you have, uh, pagans who, you know, that, that believe in Christ, but they're Catholic, right? Um, is that a good or a bad thing <laughs> And from a Protestant perspective? And I, I think, you know, back in the day, I think most would say it's bad because they basically think Catholicism has, you know, one foot in the, the grave with the, the devil or something. You know, the old fundamentalist. But today's different, though, you know, because evangelicals don't have that real strong anti-Catholic animosity so 
You know, I really haven't thought about it, but I think you're right, though. I think you'd have to look at that and say that it has to be a good thing, you know, that this is legitimate. Yeah, no, exactly. And yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's both a good and a bad thing. I think that modern Protestants aren't so anti-Catholic. Um, I mean, of course, the reformers would think that I'm following the Antichrist, the Pope, and that I commit blasphemy every time I worship at the Mass. Um, mm. And so as much as it's like, oh, I wish Protestants, you know, were more consistent with what, you know, their religion kind of started off on. At the same time, I'm glad there's not so much hatred <laughs> towards yeah. the Catholic Church anymore. Um, but yeah, I do think it puts people in an uncomfortable position of, you know, if Mary is appearing and you, you might want to, as a Protestant, accept that this is from God, then why isn't Mary appearing in your religion and in your church? And why aren't there these same experiences with Our Lady in the Protestant world that there are in, you know, the Catholic world and even in the Orthodox world in some capacity? Um, I think this is definitely something, you know, when I was searching for the true church that I had to think about. And I definitely think it's something thought-provoking for Protestants to consider. Yeah, or even just uh, her having a place, you know, within the Protestant worldview. I I don't know uh, from your background, but I know most Protestants, Mary is just another biblical character, you know, not unlike John the Baptist or one of the apostles. So it's strange that Mary you know, has these apparitions and such amazing conversions. So why not Andrew or Peter or somebody like that? Yeah, no, that's actually a great point. And yeah, from my background, um, I, you know, Mary wasn't ever talked about even during Christmas, barely she was mentioned, you know what I mean? And so it's mm-hmm. kind of crazy that, um, again, Mary seems to be the significant figure in Catholicism and she's doing amazing things today till this day, right? With, helping aid in the conversion of many souls. I mean, again, 9 million souls just with Our Lady of Guadalupe. That's crazy. Um, You don't hear about that with any other, yeah, biblical figure. Um, And so it did definitely put me in an uncomfortable position. You know, why is this happening? Is there something to Our Lady that, you know, my church wasn't teaching me? And if so, like, if she's doing these amazing things and if she is this, you know, figure that's aiding in the conversion of so many souls, then I want to understand that. And I want to get to know that. Um, So yeah, I think it's something worth discussing with Protestants when we encounter them, what their thoughts are on things like this. Yeah, I I have a question. Hopefully it won't throw you off um, uh, your track of thought. But uh, most non-Catholics never even hear about Marian apparitions. How how did uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe come up on your radar screen? You know, I don't remember if I'm being honest. I, I have no idea. I just remember yeah. learning about it. And I was very, you know, I don't know. I was very confused. And yeah, it was something very new to me. I knew that Catholics obviously valued Mary uh, more than, you know, the average Protestant does. But I did not know that, oh, they still think Mary's appearing to them on Earth. <laughs> you know, I didn't know about right. that. So, yeah, I don't I don't know. I wish I remembered how I, I found out about it, but somehow I came across it. So no, it's OK. I was just curious yeah. because, you know, um, most people uh, don't know about it. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Roy Showman. Uh, he, he wrote the book uh, Salvations from the Jews. He's a convert to Catholicism from Judaism. And he uh, came into the church through a dream of Mary. 
and uh, and then he actually he went to like a new age guru kind of guy and uh on the the um, table was a thing about fatima and the he said what's this fatima stuff and he explained well you know like upwards of a hundred thousand people saw the miracle of the sun and he's like doesn't anybody know about this like he never heard about it and most people never heard about it which actually makes it very interesting in terms of using it for apologetics and evangelism because it's something new yeah no i i agree with you i think i i don't know if it was his story that i heard but i have heard stories of people who did convert because yeah our lady appeared to them in a dream Mm -hmm. um and again i've brought that up with protestants because like why is this happening and do you think that this is satan making mary appear to people and making them become catholic because if so like the Catholic church must be really good or it must be really, really bad. (laughs) Um, And you can't just take a middle ground on this issue, you know? Um, So, oh, the music's coming on. Yeah, that was a good place to stop. Uh, We're chatting with Emily Torres of catholic-converts.com. Talk about Marian apparitions and uh, using it for proofs of Catholicism. We'll come right after this. Stay tuned. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And welcome back, everybody. We're chatting with Emily Torres, talking about Marian apparitions and apologetics. And, uh, you know, Emily, when you proposed this, I was thrilled because we never, I, I, we haven't really explored that on the show. And quite frankly, I mean, I, I have used um, Fatima for apologetics and uh, hostile witnesses. I, I, I make that a, a case for Catholicism, but I never thought of Our Lady of Guadalupe. So that that's really intriguing. Yeah. Yeah. I um, actually, I think Our Lady of Guadalupe and then Our Lady of Lords is actually, they're like my two go-to. I think um, just because Our Lady of Lords, there's for, especially when you're conversing with like atheists or agnostics, There's been a lot of um, medical and scientific journals that have reviewed some of the cures and healing cases that have come out of Our Lady of Lourdes. Um, And so from more of like an empirical standpoint in some capacity, uh, which, you know, agnostic and atheists tend to be more um, partial towards, that is a way to get conversation going, at least from my experience, what I've found with them. So, yeah, very, they're both very interesting. Um, and I think different apparitions are beneficial for whatever, you know, viewpoint the person you're speaking with is coming from. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, so you're studying uh, uh, cognitive and behavioral neuroscience, which, by the way, just saying that's pretty impressive. <laughs> oh, uh, so I don't know if you heard that because it looks like we got cut off temporarily. But uh, I did not hear that. Yeah, you, I was just saying, you know, your line of study with uh, cognitive and behavioral neuroscience, uh, does that fit in at all? I mean, does that give you any special insights into, you know, whether these are frauds or hoaxes? Um, you know, I, I try to refrain from like, especially because I don't have my degree yet from acting as if that makes me have, you know, special insight, but no, um, I know, (laughs) but, but does it, does it pair at all with it? I mean, or is that just a completely different line of study? 
Um, I think that it could in some capacity. I think that maybe like a more psychological approach is probably what some people would want to hear from just because, um, I don't know, there's a lot of people who think like people are more inclined to believe certain things over others because of certain, uh, I don't know, psychological backgrounds that they're coming from and that kind of conditions them to be more receptive to certain beliefs over another. Um, so I would say, yeah, neuroscience is not particularly aligned with uh, something like this, but yeah. And I appreciate yeah, I was just that. curious. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's very impressive line of study. So I was just wondering if it would pair at all. Because, uh, like, for example, for the resurrection, you'll have atheists who will say that this is like some sort of, uh, uh, um, you know, um, uh, what do I want to say? Uh, not uh, like hallucination, but something even more than that, like some sort of uh, uh, mental, you know, uh, difficulty or something like that, that... They thought they saw the Jesus, but actually it was just a blip on some you know, neuron or something. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So now that I totally de derailed the whole line of <laughs> where we're going. Yeah. Our Lady of Lourdes, you got that vertical data going. Um, and uh, you also, and then you have Fatima as well. Uh, just from the sheer amount of witnesses and the miracle of the sun. And... Uh, and that that pairs in too, because uh, Mary says, "I am the Immaculate Conception." Yeah, no, I think Our Lady of Fatima is interesting for a lot of reasons. Even um, the secrets, right, that she mm -hmm. revealed, um, and you know the references to World War One, World War Two, are possibly right. Um, I think that's something very fascinating. It's not something that I've looked into as much as I'd probably like to. Um, but yeah, I think that that's also, especially because it's so recent compared to some of the other ones, like, you know, Our Lady of Guadalupe's 16th century. So, um, yeah, that's, that could be a, a good one to propose to certain people for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We even have photographs of, uh, you know, uh, not the miracle itself, but the, the people who witnessed it. So it was mm -hmm. in newspapers and stuff. Um, so yeah, for uh, for a non-Catholic, for a Protestant, what was the typical pushback that you got when you you asked uh, what do you make of this apparition stuff? You know, I'm I'm not too sure that I've ever really heard someone voice like I've made videos about it, but I've not really heard someone voice a strong opinion about what their thoughts are. Maybe they just don't know what to think. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, I mean, I don't find too many people who are willing to kind of bite the bullet and say, yeah, the, the Catholic Church is from Satan. And of course, Satan just, you know, converted pagans, um, at, you know, Aztec pagans from one type of demonic view to another demonic right. view. Um, I mean, I have heard people say that, but I think more often than not, they don't want to say that um, because I kind of think it's silly, which you know, is fair. So yeah, I don't know, I guess mixed, mixed feelings from people, but um, I do think it's something I should press more. I don't think I've really, you know, pressed someone to like give me an answer on what they think of it. Um, but maybe I should, because, you know, I think it's something that does, you know, make you think pretty hard about your view of the Catholic church when a lot of people just try to not take a view at all about it, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the pushback I always got was, uh, well, Jesus says that 
There will be signs and wonders so great to deceive if it were possible, even the elect, you know? So this is a great wonder. So it obviously must be part of the deception, right? But, but then it occurred to me, well, that means Satan's against Satan, right? Because, uh, you know, uh, like you said, with Guadalupe, this conversion from pagans to Catholicism, well, Catholicism is against paganism. So Satan's against Satan, you know, how could the kingdom stand? Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. It's a great point. Um, and then, yeah, they either have to concede that or they have to say, well, Catholicism is just paganism masked with some Christian yeah. um, influences. So, uh, and a lot of people online at least can say things like that. Um, so, and not, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the answer they respond with. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's always a million of them. Uh, but, uh, so you're on social media, you're doing apologetics. So your sense is that there really isn't that big of a pushback because um i mean even in some areas of protestantism there is uh that they believe that uh, miracles ceased after the first centuries of the church so all miracles are either fraudulent or demonic Uh, but you don't find that that much on social media oh no i i haven't really run into people who are like that i think it's more of the opposite where they tend to think that things that aren't miracles like are and um i don't know i mean i guess some people they they would just say well god can work miracles in every church which you know is fair is true but uh maybe that's more of the response they give and i guess they just aren't thinking too hard of like well what is this you know accepting this miracle of our lady appearing what does that say then about mary's significance maybe they just aren't thinking too hard about the implications of conceding that it is a true miracle so, ah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So it's a, uh, so they could say, well, yeah, this is God just, he works miracles in all churches. So there's nothing really, you know, driving about this particular one that would drive you into Catholicism or some other church, uh, which of course isn't true, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say I don't really see any, I haven't heard of any Protestant miracles where 9 million people are converting. Yeah, um, right. And I think this is actually St. Francis de Sales um, in what the Catholic controversy, I don't know. Uh, is that, is my, mm-hmm. is that his book? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I think he actually, or no, 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 that's not, he, he St. Francis de Sales. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So he, um, I haven't read it. I want to on my reading list. That's too <laughs> extensive, but, um, I believe he mentions here, one of the arguments he gives against Protestantism is, you know, where are the miracles of the reformers happening. You know, when you yeah. see God coming in after a long period of what seems desolation. And I mean, if you are following what the reformers believed, right. Who were so staunchly against, um, mandated clerical celibacy. They were against the sacrifice of the mass and a lot of these things, which by the time of the early 400s was a, like a universal, you know, thing happening in the church, um, uh, and a belief in the church, then you would have to say Christ, you know, was letting his church for 1100 years practice things widely that were from the antichrist were blasphemous were sacrilegious. Um, and now that, you know, the reformers, are coming in and uprooting this that's a big deal and where are their miracles to show that they are really from god and they're you know doing the right thing um 
that's in alignment with scripture, right? With what we see the prophets coming and um, pushing back against a long consensus of mispractice and um, false beliefs. And the Protestants don't have the miracles on their side. Where are they? You know, I haven't heard of any right. huge ones, you know? So I do think that this talk, this conversation of miracles generally um, is good for bringing up with Protestants to reflect on. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Really good points. Um, especially, uh, especially if you believe that Jesus, I mean, the scripture says that, uh, that, the teaching of the apostles is confirmed through accompanying signs, right? So mm -hmm. miracles happen to show the truth of what's being taught. And then you have the historic church that has abundance of miracles, usually attached to, you know, like Eucharistic miracles, right? Um, all of a sudden they don't attest that they're from God. You know, it's where do you draw the line where suddenly God kind of flips and it's no longer evidence? Exactly. Yeah, I think the line's very blurry for them to distinguish, and it's a problem in my in my opinion. It's a huge problem, actually. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Great points because uh, yeah, and I love that argument from Saint Francis de Sales, and that's what led uh, some of the reformers to start becoming skeptical about miracles, and ultimately the skepticism feeds into the Enlightenment and the denial that. Well, if miracles don't happen today, who's to say they happened 2,000 years ago, right? So maybe it's all just a myth. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hear the music coming up. Emily, we'll hit pause right there. Uh, we are chatting with Emily Torres of catholic-converts.com. Talking about Marian apparitions and apologetics. More to come right after this. Back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody. We are chatting with Emily Torres about uh, Marian apparitions and apologetics. And uh, so, Emily, uh, so of all the uh, Marian apparitions that you've looked at, uh, which one do you think is most helpful for Protestants? Oh, okay. For a Protestant... Um, I would say I'll probably fall back on Our Lady of Guadalupe because yeah. everything we've talked about, I think that that's um, a good position to put them in. Like, why would, again, people who were not following Christ, you know, possibly worshiping demons because St. Paul says the pagan gods are demons or implies that um, now to worshiping, you know, Jesus, um, you know, what's going on there? Um, yeah. I think that's probably... My go-to, I like Our Lady of Lords because, like I mentioned, there's a lot of sort of empirical data to kind of fall back on um, with the medical journals and scientific journals um, discussing the miraculous cures and how a lot of, you know, with some of the cases, there is no current scientific explanation for how these people were healed. Um, and even there was um, a Nobel Prize winning scientist, Alexis Carell, who was an agnostic and after he witnessed someone getting um, cured with waters from Lourdes, um, he ended up converting to Catholicism because of this. So there's even examples where, you know, agnostics, atheists are uh, being converted because of these apparitions, uh, which that might be helpful to mention to a Protestant. But um, again, I think when it comes to the Aztecs converting, I think that's a sort of yeah. huge uh, question. 
to bring up to them. Yeah, because if I remember correctly, I believe the missionaries there were having a tough time converting the natives. And, and then the apparition happened, and then it was like a, a flood of conversion. So uh, Mary is a great evangelist, which should be attractive to evangelicals, right? <laughs> no, exactly. And I, I mean, even the miracles that sort of happened afterward with the Tilma, we haven't, we didn't, I guess, hit on that really. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, there was nitric acid poured on the Tilma and nothing of the Tilma was destroyed. The image wasn't destroyed. Um, the image on the Tilma has still remained, even though, you know, other um, fabrics with the same type of material, like they faded, images on them faded after 10 years. And yet the image of Our Lady on the Tilma has not faded. Um, it's still very preserved for the age that it's at, uh, which is interesting. And then even I, I read that a bomb exploded near the Tilma um, and somehow none of the glass that was protecting the Tilma was shattered and the Tilma itself was fine. Um, so I don't know. There's a lot of interesting things happening with the Tilma. I think that's worth looking into, um, just as, you know, a sort of like, again, what's going on here? Why is this happening? Um, that should be thought provoking for Protestants and even, you know, an atheist or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have the message on the Tilma, you know, symbolically, which, uh, you know, is the defeat of, uh, the devil and, uh, you know, Mary's about to give birth. And, uh, you know, and that was that message that uh, mm-hmm. the Aztecs converted, right? And then you have the ongoing preservation of it as well. <laughs> so it's like, God seems to like this, right? Actually, you know, uh, I think that's one of those miracles that don't get a lot of attention. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, the devil can't hold things in existence. That's something only God can do, Right. So for, like, Eucharist that persist, even though it's been centuries, they're still fresh, or the Toma being preserved, that's one of those things, like, the devil just simply doesn't have the capability of holding things in existence like that. So it it definitely points to God being pleased with it. So yeah, that's problems. a good point. Yeah, yeah, very good. So... uh yeah, so uh, so Guadalupe uh, Lords with the miracles. I I totally agree with that. You know, you brought up another thing too with Fatima and the prophecies. You know, usually, mm-hmm. I know for me the miracle of the sun as that's most of my attention's on that. But I forgot about the prophecies that uh, were fulfilled by Fatima. Yeah. Exactly. I And, you know, see, that's interesting because I think more about the prophecies when I hear Our Lady of Fatima than the miracle of the sun. Um, Just because I guess what we were mentioning earlier, there's a lot of people who will try to say, like, oh, people like mass hallucinated or something. Um, And I think people can more easily write that part off than the part of like, okay, well, what about these prophecies of Russia and all of these other things going to happen in the world before they even happened. Right. Um, right. How do you explain that? You know, so I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up actually. Cause I think that's, there's two sides of it, you know, yeah. of what was happening at Fatima. Yeah. How does it, these, these poor shepherd children, you know, out in, out in uh, Portugal in the fields were able to talk about geopolitical events, you know, <laughs> 
and, and counterintuitive too, because the Mary says that uh, the Russia will be converted, but at the time, Russia it was Holy Mother Russia. It was one of the most Christian countries in the world. But you know, we know what happens in history and uh, what follows. Uh, how did they know that? It, yeah, 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 it's. So it's kind of a twofer for Fatima. You got the miracle of the sun and you have the prophecies as well. Um, yeah. Any other apparitions that uh, intrigued you or you think might have some apologetic uh, value? You know, I would say there's not any other ones that come to mind, at least ones that have been like officially recognized by the church. Um, cause I know there's been maybe some possible more recent ones, but like you said, the church has a long process with trying to verify these things, which it needs to. So, yeah. um, I would say, yeah, those three are the biggest three that come to my mind. Um, what about you? Is there any other ones that yeah. you can, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I like the old ones and the reason for that is because, uh, the older apparitions, they've been rung through uh, a process of discernment, right? So the church not only approves it, but we we know all the typical objections against them, and we know how to answer those objections. So that means that if, uh, uh, let's say, the, the miracle of the sun, or Fatima, excuse me, um, we know what the atheists have to say about it. We know the different ways you could try to undercut or dismiss it. So I actually like the, the older apparitions because we kind of have all the objections on the table, right? So you can, uh, you can address those as needed where the new ones, you know, they really haven't been scrutinized as much. Yeah, no, that's, that's completely correct. I guess I didn't really think of it that way either. Um, especially, yeah, I mean, with, with um, certain ones that even maybe the Protestant reformers during the time, like St. I mentioned St. Francis de Sales earlier. He has a lot of good apologetics against yeah. the Protestants. And I, I'm not sure if he specifically did anything with our lady. Uh, I, I can't think of things come to mind with him kind of making any objections to some of these things. Um right. I don't know. I mean, what are some what are some older ones that you can think of where maybe some of these bigger Catholic um, theologians kind of addressed? Is there any that come to your mind? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, well, St. Thomas Aquinas was aware of various Eucharistic miracles. Um, Marian apparitions, uh, there, there are a few ancient Marian apparitions. I'm not sure if I ever read about somebody who used it in apologetics. It seems as if, yeah, it seems as if Marian apparitions kind of blossoms in the 19th, you know, 20th century, um, oddly enough, you know, that, uh, but maybe not. Who knows? <laughs> and God's plan will we'll understand why. But, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe there'll be some more. That'll... <laughs> yeah, you can add to the list. Hopefully, maybe maybe that was just the beginning. <laughs> yeah, and also you know Fatima. Uh, interesting enough, Muslims, uh, Muslims are very open to the apparition and the miracle of the sun in Fatima, because Fatima, you know, has a connection with Islamic history. Uh, it's it's named after an actual person, and uh, and of course in Islam, 
they have a high view of Mary as well. So I've also heard that too, that actually with Islamic apologetics, um, that might be an in as well. So that's, yeah, that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't think about that. And you're right. I mean, I've met, I've encountered many Muslims who actually speak of Our Lady in a better light than some Protestants do, which is really sad, <laughs> if we're yeah. being honest. But um, right. yeah, I mean, they, they place a high value on Our Lady, um, which I think is, is actually a good thing. So yeah, I never considered bringing that up to a Muslim and seeing their thoughts on Our Lady appearing as well. That's, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. Well, Emily, hey, we're coming up to the end of the program, and I always want to give a little extra time to, for the guests to you know, uh, tell us what you've been doing, uh, where they can go to get a hold of your stuff, uh, that type of stuff. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, like Gary mentioned in the beginning of the program, uh, my name's Emily. I'm 20 years old, and I was actually a Catholic convert. Um, so I was um, a non-denominational Protestant for about three and a half years. And then when I was 18 years old, I was baptized and joined into the Catholic Church by the grace of God. And um, since then, I've been doing online apologetics, um, specifically aimed more towards Protestants, because I came from that background. And I wish I would have encountered a Catholic sooner to um, kind of dispel some of the big misconceptions about our faith. So um, most of my work is done on TikTok. Uh, my account is catholic.converts, but I also finally made a YouTube page, um, which just started, and it's the same username, catholic.converts. And as Gary mentioned earlier, I did finally make a website, and you can find that at catholic-converts.com. So I have all of my information on there, all of my socials, and um, I even tried to make it a place where if you're someone who is trying to question, you know, how do I find the true church? How do I learn more about Catholicism? But all of this information seems so overwhelming because there's so many different things you could look at. Um, I have a little resources section on my page to help, you know, answer some common basic questions and help give you a direction for your research. So yeah, um, I'd appreciate it if you could check it out. And thank you so much, Gary, for having me on here. I always enjoy um, having these conversations with you. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the pleasure is all mine. Same thing. It's like you have such great ideas, I, things I never even thought about. And it's exciting. You got a, uh, a thing on YouTube, so I'll definitely have to check that out as well. Emily, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. All right. And uh, yeah, check it out. Catholic-converts.com. Also Catholic Converts on YouTube and TikTok as well. Wow. Okay. The hour's gone. Coming up next, High Impact Catholic Talk coming at you with the Terry and Jesse Show. Thank you so much for listening. And God willing, we'll be back again tomorrow. This is thing we call Hands-On Apologetics. Bye-bye, everyone. Take care.